Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Morning. Morning. Jessica, yes, it's good to see you back. Good. It's good to have you back. Um, let's pray together. Father, it is amazing that we can come and and feed from you, that you offer the opportunity for us to come and be fed by your word. Lord Jesus, we remember your words when you were tempted in in the wilderness and you quoted the Old Testament and you said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we come to you wanting to be fed and nourished spiritually. And we thank you, Father, that you are so willing to do that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who is willing. And we don't come to one who makes it difficult. We don't come to one who's unwilling. We don't come to one who looks at us and counts our sin against us and says, how dare you come? No, you don't count our sin against us any longer because you bore it so that we can come. We can come just like those little children ran to the front this morning. We can come without airs and graces. We can come without having to come with sacrifice. We can just come. It's wonderful, Lord. It's wonderful. And so we pray that you will continue to feed and nourish our souls this morning as we hear your word, as we maybe worship a bit at the end, as some of us spend time together talking and eating during this afternoon as well, we ask, come feed us, Lord. Feed us with the bread of life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you described yourself as the bread of life. Whoever is hungry and whoever is thirsty, come to me. And so we come, like little children, to a father, who is willing. And uh, so feed us, we pray, from your precious, inerrant word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're sort of taking a slight pause in the uh, series that we've been doing just around the Great Commission and sharing our faith. And and, uh, so we had Toppy last week, if you were here, it it was great, wasn't it? having him fantastic, um, talking about being pillars. Um, and, and so this week we're, we're also taking a week out from the series. We're back to it for a few more weeks next week. And uh, we're going to look at a short passage from the book of Hebrews. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And this is a letter. We don't know who wrote this letter. For a long time people thought it was Paul. Uh, But then the the thinking now is that it wasn't Paul. So we don't know who wrote this letter to the Hebrew church, but it's a wonderful, wonderful part of the Bible. I recommend it to you. I love Hebrews. Um, It's really, really encouraging. And it opens up big truths in a way that I can understand. So um, I recommend the book of Hebrews to you. I, I love reading it. 
And so we're going to just look at a short passage from Hebrews chapter 10, and verses 24 and 25. And the writer to the Hebrew church says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And I want to look this this morning just a little bit at, at community. And one of the things that's really important is that every now and then we stop and think about this because we are going on a mission. We're talking about the great commission that we have, expecting to see people who we are praying for come to know Jesus and for some of them to be added. And every now and then it's important for us to pause and think, what is it that they're going to be added to? What is it that we want them to be added to? And uh, so I'm keen for us to just look at that this morning. And this passage is just, it just has some helpful stuff in it as I've looked at it. I've noticed some things in it that I'd not noticed before, though I've read it many, many times before. So I'm going to start off by uh, putting up a slide which um, has this picture of something that's called the Jahari window. So bear with me, I'm not going to take you on a humanistic exploration of um, psychology, but these two guys, Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingman, were both psychologists. And as they looked at people's personality and what makes people up, they sort of described it as being like a house with four rooms. And so you've got room number one, you can just about see it there, and room number one is the part of us that is um, visible to ourselves and to others. So it's probably our Sunday morning face, if you like. It's what's visible to me. It's what I let you see of me. It's what you read of me. And that bit there is, if you like, quite open. It's the stuff that I'm prepared to let you see. And it's the stuff that you pick up. And we both agree on it. But there are other rooms in the house that these guys sort of identified. So if you look at um, room number two, it says there that the guy who's got the sign other next to him, so he's looking in on this person's life, and he and this guy, they can both see in room number one, but then this guy from outside, he can see into room number two. But I can't see into room number two. And this is just around... The the hidden areas, if you like, that I don't know about myself, that I don't necessarily pick up about myself. But maybe you see it in me. And that might be stuff that's really, really positive. It might be attributes and gifts that you see in me. And every now and then you might say, oh, Phil, you know, I just noticed that in you. It's just great. And and I say, oh, really? Do you know, I'd I'd never thought. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, right. I've had conversations like that with people and they've been faith-building in my history as a Christian where people have said, almost with a prophetic edge, they've said, Phil, I see, I see this in you. Really? Do you? <laughs> right, okay. And yes, you have to weigh it and use discernment, but actually sometimes it builds faith in you as, as something is revealed about you that you didn't know. And then there's the bit that's um, the, the bit that's room four. 
And that's the bit of me that I know about, but I don't let you know about it. That's the bit that's not hidden from me, but I'd probably hide it a bit from you. Perhaps that's because I'm not confident. Perhaps that's because it's an area of weakness or, or sin in my life. Whatever it might be, there's a bit in me that, that I sort of hide from you a bit, maybe. And then the bit right at the back, room three, well, these two guys, they said, well, that's the bit that neither of us see. It's the stuff that's really hidden away, that maybe neither of us will pick up on. It's the bit that's hidden. It's the bit that God sees, if you like, I think. It's the bit of you that God sees. And uh, there's, a, there's a great proverb I came across uh, just this week. And uh, I never really registered it before. But it says this. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. See, I suppose what I'm trying to get at here is that actually, if we are to discover all that we are in God and all that he has for us, then actually we have to do it in community. Because otherwise, the only bit, if we go back to, can we go back to that um, picture again, Alicia? The only bit of me, if you like, that's... um, that's, that's going to be on offer is, is the bit that you and I see together, the bit that I let you see of me. And actually, there's so much more that God intends me to bring to you of what he's put inside of me. And so I want us just to look really at the importance of being together and not running away from one another. Because if we do run away from each other, we end up with perhaps only just about a quarter of our Christian lives being of any sort of productivity. And it's interesting, when I talk to people, um, you know, you guys and other people in the church, do you know what, in the main, I find that people are really keen to be productive. Deep down in their hearts, they want to be productive for God. Well, let me tell you this, the only way you'll be productive is being vulnerable. That's the only way that you will be as productive as in the deep crevices of your heart you long to be for the Lord. And I know when I look at all of you, most of whom I know, that that is what is deep down in the crevices of your heart, is to live a life that's pleasing to him and worthy of the calling you've received. The only way you'll do it, the only way we'll do it, is by being vulnerable with one another by letting each other in to some of those other rooms in our lives. So let's have a look at what this writer to the Hebrews talks about as he encourages us to do that very thing. First of all, the thing that's one of the things that struck me that I'd never really noticed in the passage before, it says this, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. In another version it says, take thought to how to. Isn't that interesting? Do you know, I think sometimes, I think about myself and I think, well, I'm not sure how often I give thought and consideration to how I might spur you on and encourage you. But the writer here says, actually, that this is something that it's worth some thought over. 
some consideration to think through, how might I spur Ben on? How might I encourage him? Do you know what? I think one of the key ways, if I, as I look back in my life, where that's happened for me is when people have shown me some appreciation of some sort. They've said thank you for something. I was, um, I've been meeting up every, two or th- every sort of three or four months with a, a guy from a church fair, fair way away. Uh, who, um, and we meet up every two or three months. And I had a, a really lovely note from him um, about a month ago, just writing down some of the things that he felt that I'd brought to his life. It was wonderful. I didn't expect it. Um, and I just read it and I said, oh, thank you, God, thank you, God. Because the truth is that when I meet with him, I love meeting with him because I get stuff from meeting with him. And so, yes, there's an age difference. And I suppose you might say, oh, yeah, Phil's probably doing a bit of discipling there. But half the time I feel that what he brings to me is discipling me. And so it doesn't feel like that to me. And yet to get this note from him, it was just, oh, I thought, oh, oh God, thank you so much. I've been able to contribute to this guy's life in some way. Do you know what that does for me? It spurs me on. I think, oh, I'm going to keep doing that. God, I don't have anything to bring. I'm like who we heard about this morning. I'm like the little boy with like a packed lunch. Not a lot of nourishment. It's not going to go very far. But, but Lord, I'll bring what I've got and I know you'll breathe on it. It spurs me on when people show me Appreciation. I'm, I'm not saying to you, I want, come on. <laughs> so I'm expecting thank you letters from all of you this week and cards and texts and flowers and chocolates. Um, although, you know, I'm happy to receive any of those things. Um, but actually, it spurs me on when people show appreciation. Do you know what? Let's be active in doing that with one another. Let's be active in doing that. We live in a culture and a society where it's not, the done thing to show appreciation because we don't want you to get big-headed. And actually, in in British culture, you know what it's like? People don't stay at the top very long before somebody finds some mud to chuck because we want to get them down down to my level again. And, And actually, it's not healthy. Now, the opposite is not healthy, where everybody gets accolades, and perhaps we might see more of that in America than over here. But actually, neither of those extremes are healthy. It's not healthy for us not to be active in showing one another appreciation. It spurs somebody else on to love and good deeds. So, let us consider. That's the first thing I want to bring up to you. Consider how you can do this for your brothers and sisters. Don't be passive about it. Be active about it. If you are walking to work and somebody gets, comes into your head, send them a text that says, just thinking about you prayed for your day today. Do you know what that means to somebody? Wow, God. <laughs> and, and, and I was just feeling rubbish this morning and I get this. And, oh, great that my brother did it. But, oh, thank you, God. It just shows you know me, you know what, what I need. Let's be active in doing this. Let's not be passive. Let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. So then let's look at that that word spur. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. If you look at the original word in the Greek, it actually is translated in Greek. So the Greek is beside 
sharpen. Beside sharpen. So in other words, you're standing behind, beside something or someone and you're sharpening something. You're standing beside it and you're sharpening it. It's quite a strong word. Uh, another, um, another translation for it would be incite. You know, to incite you. Like almost to provoke you, poke you. It's quite strong, isn't it? Spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's quite strong. But you know what the thing that I absolutely loved about it when I read what the translation, the literal translation is? It's beside sharpen. It's beside sharpen. It's not that I have a go at you, or I have a go at you, and actually I have no relationship with you whatsoever, really, um, but I've just noticed something, and I think you need to know about it, about yourself. So I'm going to let you know. No, it's not that at all. It's beside sharpening. It means I'm with you while I sharpen you. It's I'm with you when I bring something that's just a little bit awkward, possibly a tiny bit painful, exposes something. You know, sharpening is, you get some sparks when you sharpen stuff. You can get some sparks. And it, and it doesn't, it's abrasive. But actually, if I'm beside sharpening you, it means I'm with you in it. It means I'm not just going to tell you my thoughts about where you're going wrong and then say cheerio. No, I'm beside you. If I'm going to sharpen you, if I've got something that I feel the Lord's saying, first of all, I'm going to bring it tentatively. Let me encourage you to do that. If you've got something for a brother or a sister or somebody and you think, this might be a little bit, bring it tentatively. We see through a glass darkly. So we're going to be saying something like, I just wonder, I've just been, I, I don't know if this resonates with you, but I, I just sense, do you know, that helps rather than, well, I've noticed this about you, Phil. You need to put that right, mate, don't you? Do it tentatively, do it lovingly, but do it beside. That means that as I sharpen you in that process of when we sharpen each other, I'm walking it with you. Because actually, if I expose something in you, and you then think, well, what do I do with that? No, actually, I'm committed to be beside you while we work out together what God might be saying about what you need to do about that. I'm not just going to sharpen you and leave you to it. I'm going to sharpen beside. I found that so helpful. And if you are, when, you're, when you are with others in prayer groups and when you meet up with Christian friends and brothers and sisters within the church and without, do sharpen. Do spur one another on, but actually be committed to walk the walk with the other person. Be committed to stick with it while they're being sharpened. Don't just leave them to it. Walk out the door. Do you know, I've seen examples of that, and it's just not in the church, but I've seen examples of it in the workplace. Probably most of us have. And it's just crushed people. It's crushed them. When a manager has come in and said, well, I watched this and I saw that and I thought that and that was rubbish and then they walk back to their office and I've dealt with a number of people in tears over my years in teaching where that's just, it's just, I've just thought, oh, why don't you just sit down with them and say, look, I've noticed this. How about we do this? What about this as an action plan? Oh, no. Let's sharpen beside. Let's walk the walk and, and do the journey together on it. So spur one another on to love and good deeds. This is what it says in Proverbs. It's quite a well-known one. 
Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Doesn't that tell you something? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It means I'm not going to wound you if I'm not your friend. Because actually you'll take my wounds and you'll know that I'm doing it because I love you. Faithful are the wounds of of a friend. But actually, better is open rebuke than hidden love. What does that mean? It means that actually if I see something and I don't tell you because I don't want you to be hurt by it and I allow you to continue in it, then that's not really loving you actually because some way along the line you're going to stumble because of that. You're going to fall because of that. And you'll get, end up more hurt than if I hadn't... I wonder how many conversations you've had with people where you've said, oh, I wish I'd told you that sooner, or I wish I'd told them that. Do you know I saw that and I didn't say anything? I wish now I'd said something. I wonder how many times you've said that. I wish now I'd said something. Yeah? Sometimes we have to be congruent and honest with one another. But we do it knowing that we're going to walk the journey with them and we do it when we're friends. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you know, I found that really interesting. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So this guy is writing right back in the first century of the Christian church. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can think, oh, it's the pressure of the 21st century. You know, people just struggle really to get together. Life is so busy. Yes. But actually, do you know what? It was happening back in the first century. Some were in the habit of doing it. It's the first thing in my experience of church life, in my own experience, I have to say, it's the first thing that slips off is that, oh, I've got some stuff to have better not. I know it's, you know, we were due to be getting together, but, or oh, was prayer group that way. But, you know, actually, I, I just, now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not bringing this level of condemnation when you have to ring up and say, I can't make the prayer group or I can't meet you this week or I can't do the coffee that we'd arranged. I know that happens. But I suppose what I'm encouraging us to do is to prioritise. Is to prioritise. There's something that's gripped me in the last few weeks. I've been reading a book which has been looking back at the early church after the apostles, so in the sort of second and third centuries, when, if you like, monastic communities began to build up. And from that point on, and this would still be true in many church traditions, they will have what they call a rule of life. And you will read about things like the rule of St. Benedict or the rule of St. Ignatius. And probably uh, up to now, I've always thought legalistic, mm, traditional, not interested. Thanks very much. But actually, it's interesting reading about it. That word rule, it doesn't mean rule as in these are the rules. It actually is translated from the word that means trellis. Trellis, like a trellis uh, that you grow plants up. And so um, if we have the picture up, um, Alicia. So it, it comes from the word that was used for a vineyard and the trellis that um, uh, the, the vine keeper would 
build so that the vine could grow up and be fruitful. Because if it's just left to its own devices, it just grows along the floor. The grapes uh, rot because they're lying on the floor rather than lifted up. And so it's not fruitful. And so they have to, in vineyards, they always have to build trellises for the vine to grow up so that it will be fruitful. So that it will be fruitful. And that was really what was behind this thing about the rule. Rule of St. Benedict was don't give up meeting together or whatever it was. It's about a trellis. It's a framework. And do you know what? I think we have lost some of that. We've embraced the freedom that's come from, if you like, throwing off some of the stuff that was mindless tradition. And I'm all for that. It's brought freshness and it's allowed space for the Holy Spirit in our churches again, where where we'd shut him out by our tradition, by our hymn prayer sandwich, and don't you dare Holy Spirit come at 11.30 because that's the time we take the offering. Um, And it's been great to move away from that. But we've also probably lost a little bit of what my non-negotiables are. And a rule of life or a trellis for life is almost deciding, okay, what, what are the things that I will build this coming year? What are my non-negotiables that provide that framework, that trellis for me to be fruitful? And what's happened for us, certainly what's happened for me, is we've just gone along with the flow a bit. And we've enjoyed the freedom and so if I don't want to get together, well, I'll have a couple of weeks off and, you know, I've done that. And I think I'll have some freedom and, or, or I won't read so much. Whatever it is, we've, we've embraced the freedom. We've accepted the grace, which means I'm not condemned when I fail. And thank the Lord for that. But in doing so, we've sort of become a little bit let's say fair, a little bit passive, a little bit, oh, well, whatever, see what the Lord says. See how I feel, and that's how I feel in the morning will be probably be the prompting of the Spirit. (laughs) But actually, there's something to be said for having a framework, for having a trellis that means that I will be fruitful, that my fruit, because I'll still bear fruit if I don't have that, but actually it will be limited, and it will get trodden on, and it might go rotten. I'll be more fruitful if I've got some form of framework, some form of non-negotiables. Do you know what I'm encouraging us again towards is having a non-negotiable about let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Make that one of your non-negotiables. Yeah? Make it one of your non-negotiables. I tell you a, a, a thing that I've tried to do and sometimes it's been costly, is um, I'm with some friends who, and we go out to the theatre probably about four or five times during the year, and the friend I go with, she books all the tickets in advance, so you never know what dates they're going to be until you get them. And you can bet your bottom dollar that a couple of those dates will be prayer meeting nights or whatever. And I've had to wrestle with that sometimes. But, but I've decided... <laughs> I decided some time ago, no, okay, while we were still having prayer meetings, okay, no, if it's theatre on a Tuesday night, I, I, I won't go. I won't go. I'll let the ticket go. Because actually that's beca- that was, for, 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 was a sort of a non-negotiable. That was a little bit of my trellis. Was, no, I won't, I won't do that. I'll, I'll, st- I'll stick with that. It's better, better for me to be there. Better for me. More fruitful for me to be there than it is there. And it's hard because actually I want to be there and I've paid the money to be there, 
but no, no, this is this is, if you like, one of my this is one of my non-negotiables. And and I encourage you to have some non-negotiables, to have a trellis that will make the, mean that you're fruitful. And and that will depend on your life. It will depend on your lifestyle. But so so that's why um, I don't think it's necessarily helpful when a rule is, is established for a whole community of people because actually we're all different. We all work in different ways. God's made us all different and our lives are different. And so you have to build your own trellis. But actually, do you know what? You can do it with the help of other people. So I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Well, so where does, you, where does, your, time with, where does your time with other people come? Well, Sunday mornings, uh, is that it? Yeah, okay. You might want to just think about, perhaps you want to put a stake in the ground there. Perhaps that's a stake that you're going to put in. Actually, whatever it is, that relationship where I meet up with that person twice, twice a month, actually, we're going, and I guess we're going to stick with that. Now, that's going to be a stake in the ground for me. That's part of my trellis. And so I encourage you to think about doing that, and particularly in this area of not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Build yourself a trellis. And then he says, goes on to say, but let us encourage one another. That word encourage is very similar to the word that's used for the Holy Spirit as the comforter. It's based on this word parikletos, which means to call beside. To call beside. It's like a coach you know, who stands at the sidelines while you're running and is calling alongside. Come on, you can do it. Yeah, go on, put a little bit more in. Well done, fantastic. That's, what it, that's where the root of that word is, to call beside. Isn't it interesting that both those words spur, which means to sharpen beside, and encourage to call beside. I need to be with you to do this. It's no good me just encouraging you on a Sunday morning and then not speaking to you for another month. But actually, no, if I'm going to be an encourager, if I'm going to encourage you, I need to be beside you to do that as well. I need to be beside you. I need to be with you. Are you picking up a message here? I need to be with you. Do you know what? I've talked about this before. For years and years, I was Mr. Independent. Owen will tell you that really was Mr. Independent. It was all on my terms. And actually, you know, I wouldn't... You, you never came... I tell you what, you never got beyond room one with me. That's absolutely for sure you didn't. And oh... Oh, the years that were wasted because of that. The years of waste. Because I didn't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. You will miss out on all that God has for you. Now, he is loving and he restores the years the locusts have eaten. But actually, I look back and I think, oh. And what it spurs me to do most of it, more than anything else is to say to other people, don't do that. Don't do it. Let people in to your hidden spaces. Be committed to your prayer group. And if you're not in one, then come and see me and I will help you find one. Be committed to it. Let people into your hidden space. Do you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? He says, we have the mind of Christ. That means that when I get together with you, 
you have in measure the mind of Christ for me. I will get the mind of Christ when I'm with you. Yes, it will be in a measure, but I will get the mind of Christ if I'm with you. If I am not, I could well miss out on the mind of Christ about something really important in my life. I need to be with you. Encourage. One of the best ways to encourage is to listen. So you might think that encouragement is actually to do with everything you say. It's not. Encouraging sometimes is actually about listening. It's about listening. One of my favourite verses is in the book of James. And he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do you know what? That's a model for us when we're together. Do you know, I used to talk to kids at school about that. If I had a, um, an, a 10 or 11-year-old who was brought to me for bad behaviour, or they'd lost their temper, I would say, right, I want you to learn this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I didn't tell them it was from the Bible, but I told them that. I used to tell them that. And in fact, I even once told a colleague, she wasn't a Christian, and she came back to me after, she said, what were those words again? So it'd be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become, quick to listen, slow to speak, okay, it's off again. It's great advice. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Shall I tell you what my default has been and was? I've been a bit better since I've been on a counselling course. Um, but one of my defaults was, if the minute you started to tell me about something, I was solutioning that in my head for you. And what I was waiting for was a gap in the conversation when I could tell you my ideas. I don't do that so much these days. <laughs> Please, God. Because actually, I need, to listen. I need to be slow to speak. I need to be quick to listen, to really focus on what it is you're saying to give you my full, undivided attention. Do you know why that's a good thing to do? It's because we're following the model of the Father because that's what he does with you. When you pray, he is giving you his full, undivided attention. God listens to us. And we are to be like him. We are to listen to one another. Do you know what that means? That means that I will work my absolute level best to maintain my own eye contact with you if I'm listening to you. I will do my best. And if something distracts me or if I want to talk to somebody and I know they're just about to leave the room, I will keep my eyes on you as I say, would you just bear with me just one second? I, I'm going to come back to you. I just need to, but my eyes are still on you. I'm one of these people who's, um, you could either say blessed or cursed, with a, a very, very sensitive nature. Um, and, you know, there are times when I've had to toughen up, but the reality is it is part of how I'm made. I am quite a sensitive person. And I can tell when somebody stopped listening to me. And the reaction within me at that moment is, okay, I'll stop now. I'll stop now. Um, probably perhaps I was boring them a bit. I'll stop now. I'll stop now. But actually, really what's behind that in me is a bit of pride. It's a little bit of arrogance and pride, actually, which is, okay, you don't want to listen, that's fine. I'll keep it to myself. I'm going back into room three again. I'm not going to let you see that bit. And I've had to learn to persevere, even when I've sensed that somebody's 
got a bit distracted, and of course that's going to happen. You are going to sometimes get distracted by another. So it works both ways. That's what I'm saying to you. If you are listening to somebody, do your level best to give them your undivided, loving attention. Do you know that's why so many people these days pay for counsellors? They have to pay for somebody to listen to them? What an indictment. Well, let's not have that in the church. And actually, you guys are great at listening. Keep on with it. Give your undivided attention. But also, if you are a bit like me and you pick up the messages quite quickly about whether somebody's drifted off or they're thinking about Sunday lunch or the shopping or whatever, do you know what? Don't close down. Don't close down. Either, either, either stop for now but think, I'm coming back to this. Or what I sometimes have to do with him, I just have to make him listen. I say, no, you've got to listen to me. <laughs> Um, I don't have to do it very often because he is one of the world's best listeners. And it's not that he doesn't listen, but, but sometimes we, I, do, I just have to make him listen to me um, because, he, because I need him to hear me. Um, and and I'm, I'm learning to do that. I'm learning to do that. Let me encourage you, particularly if you are one of those more sensitive people, to muscle through and push through even when that person looks like they've stopped listening that doesn't mean you're not going to go back again. And if you're a bit um, less sensitive, then what you need the encouragement with is focus and give all your undivided attention. And to do this thing that I've mentioned at a prayer meeting once called bracketing. Bracketing. They teach you this on counselling courses. Bracketing. Because what that means is that when you're talking to me about your, what's going on for you, I'm thinking in my head, oh, that happened to me, actually. I remember that. When was that that happened to me? It was probably about 1984, wasn't it? Yeah, and what was the reason for that? I mean, what did I do as a result? And during that time, you've been gabbling on and on and on. I haven't listened to a word that you've said because I haven't bracketed my own stuff. What you've said to me will bring up stuff in me. And I need to learn. Do you know what? Listening is one of the most difficult, challenging things to do if you're going to do it well. Don't think that listening is passive. The listening that's passive is when I'm just doing this and I am off in my own little dream world, but I'm just nodding to you while you're going on in your merry little way, knowing that this will come to an end fairly soon, I go and get coffee. That's passive listening. That's not listening, actually. That's just being in the same space. Um, But active listening is hard work. It's worth it. Because as I listen to you, do you know what? If I have the mind of Christ, that means if I'm listening to you, I'm probably going to be more receptive to when he says, oh, did you pick up on that? That phrase, that word, rebuffed. He's used that word rebuffed a couple of times now. What's that all about? So I've noticed you use that word rebuffed a couple of times. That sounds, what, what's, what's that all about? And you hear him speak. And it's like that proverb. What does it say? A man of understanding will draw it out. You're a deep pool. But if you're with brothers and sisters who will listen to you and have an awareness of, Lord, I want your mind today as I talk to this brother, this sister in our prayer group, you will draw out from the deep pools some of the things that the Lord is wanting to develop and encourage and point out in you. And do you know what? Sometimes we think the pointing out is always the negative stuff. All the Lord wants to put his finger on something. How often have you heard that phrase? He's put his finger on something in my life. 
Yes, quite often it will be something that he's put his finger on. He said, do you want to? But actually, do you know what? He's just as equally likely to put his finger on something and say, I've given you that gift. Come on, use it. Come on. He's just as likely to do that. And a man of understanding or a woman of understanding will draw that out of you too. I think you've got a gift there. Do you know what? I think the way you brought that was just profound. Have you ever, do you think, oh, really? Gosh, God, have you given me that one? Oh, God, well, I knew I'd, I thought you'd give me that one and that one and that one, but I didn't know. Did you give me that one too? A man of understanding will draw it out. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And then the last thing he says is, he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Isn't that interesting? So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This was the day of the second coming, of the Lord Jesus coming back, of everything being brought to an end. And it's interesting, in Thessalonians, Paul does the same thing. He talks about the end times in 2 Thessalonians. He unpacks what it's going to be like. He talks about, we will meet him in the air, and we will be like him, and and those who have fallen asleep, they will precede us, and then there's those that are left, and then we'll be drawn up in the air. And he goes through this picture of what it will be like on the last day, and then at the end of it he says, and encourage each other with these words. In other words, talk to each other about this. Why did they labor about that? Well, partly it probably was because at that stage they were being the persecuted church. They were. And actually, whenever you hit persecution or difficulty in life, your head, your mind goes to eternity. If you think about um, some of the spirituals that were written by the slaves, they are quite often they're about, you know, this, this, this land is not my home. Um, over Jordan's bank. Um, when the saints go marching in. They all came from this, oh, life here is rubbish, but we've got that. It's what stirred it. Do you know we don't do that very often, do we? If you're struggling, I don't think I've ever said to anybody, I have to say I don't think I've ever said to anybody, do you know what? The day's approaching. The Lord's coming. I don't think I've ever said that. And yet, actually in the Gospels, we are encouraged to do that. We are encouraged to do that. Why? Why is it encouragement to do that with each other? Because actually we can become so caught up with the mess of this world. And we can get so caught up with, God, really, I mean, look at it. Look at what happens in the streets. Look at what happens on the other side of the world. God, no, the Lord is coming soon. The day is approaching. We should encourage each other. Do you know what? These guys were saying this to each other, the day is coming, the day is approaching, and, they, and we're 2,000 years down the line. You think, well, no, it wasn't. <laughs> you got that wrong, didn't you? day wasn't approaching. But actually, for all of us, the day does approach. The day comes soon. 
Because whether it will be that he comes when we're still living and walking the planet, or whether it's that we will have our final breath before he comes, the day is approaching. For every one of us, the day is coming. I tell you, the nearer you get to that day, the more you do look at it, actually. The more times I'm walking down the street and I'm thinking, oh, it's heaven. Heaven's coming. We should encourage each other with that. Do you know why? One, because this life is fleeting. It will pass like that. And it's, it's helpful for me to keep my eye on the ball that that's coming for me. And therefore, how ought I to live? Because that's coming. That's one reason why it's good to remind each other, encourage each other. The other reason why is because it does help us when life is tough and when we are suffering or when we are just overwhelmed with just what's happening out there that I can't seem to do anything about. And God, are you interested in it? Are you interested in thousands upon thousands of people not having enough food to eat and dying in the streets? And are you interested in that young man who's just been shot? Yet another one. Are you interested... And what are we encouraged to do? We're encouraged to say the day's approaching. The Lord is coming. He will wipe away every tear. He's coming. And I felt challenged by that as I read that. I thought, oh, do you know, I don't, I don't think I've ever done that. But actually, it's a good thing. It doesn't feel quite um, PC in our sort of churches to talk about eternity. But as one person wrote, you're a long time dead. You're a long time dead. If you're a short time alive, you're a long time dead. Actually, eternity goes on for a long time. Much, much longer. This is just like the fly leaf of the book. And I, it's helpful for me to be reminded of that because it will affect how I live now and it will fill me with hope. Oh, that's coming. And he will wipe away every tear. All the more as you see the day approaching. Peter says this in 1 Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Let me finish by saying this. The longer time you get to know me, the more I will disappoint you. Now that's a friend, isn't it? That's a lifelong friend there. The more you get to know me, the more I will disappoint you. Why do you think when Peter went to Jesus and, and he said, uh, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And, you know, actually, when you read the commentaries, you find out that Peter thought he was being very generous because within the, the Israelite culture... Three was the, the number of times that it was expected you would forgive your brother. Three times. So Peter is going to Jesus, and he's obviously thinking, oh, pure, very holy here. So, Lord, how many times should we forgive? Seven times. And I love what Jesus says. He says to Peter, you could just hear, he says to Peter, not seven times. It says, not seven times. And at that point, Peter's probably thinking, not seven times. Okay, so you see, I was so generous, Lord. You're going to bring it down a peg, aren't you? You're going to say five, but I thought seven. You're going to think I'm pretty holy. Jesus says, not seven times. Seventy times, seven. Why do you think, Peter, why do you think Jesus says that? It's because he knows 
that I have the capacity to disappoint you, to fail you many, many times. But you need to love me deeply and I need to love you deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins and it means that, oh, please, God, I won't keep count and please, God, you won't keep count. Love each other deeply. Now, there's a guy called um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a pastor in Nazi Germany and uh, he was executed just before the end of the war for, for really standing up against the Nazis. And he wrote a book just before the start of the, First World war, of the Second World War. It's really interesting. He writes this book about uh, the power of the church community and he ends up in solitary confinement at the end of his life and then executed. So it's quite profound when you read what he says. And one of the things that he says is that we can so easily go into the, the sense of what the church community should look like with rose-coloured spectacles. We can think about some sort of ideal of what it should be. Do you know, when people do that, they become the sort of people that move from church to church to church to church. Because actually, let me tell you, you're going to be offended at some stage, upset, frustrated, a little bit knocked, a little bit irked. And what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, he says, the sooner that, the sooner that that idealized picture of the church family can be debunked, the better. Because actually the power is, and this is why the church is not like any other organization or institution, the power of it is that you will stick with me even though I've done that again. Even though I've delivered a rubbish sermon again, you'll come back for the next one. You'll stick with me. If you're part of a bingo club or a women's institute or something else, probably if it gets difficult, you'll just vote with your feet. But in the church, that's why Jesus says, if you love one another like I've loved you, then all men will know you are my disciples because you stick with one another. And it's 70 times 7, not 7. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go out of my way to try and build up 70 times 7 with you. I would do my level best not to do that. But the reality is that that will happen. And we are told to love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And, of course, what Jesus then goes on to do with Peter when he has that conversation is he tells the story about the guy who's forgiven a, um, a huge treasure of money that he owed his boss and then doesn't forgive a few pounds to his fellow servant. So you need, to, you, you, you need to forgive me. You need to love me deeply. And I need to love you deeply. And that's the way that the world sees that we are his disciples. Don't, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org you can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.